0: Today we are turning to the Gospel of John, and we're turning to John chapter 21, as we read together verses 15 through 19. And you'll find our scripture reading on page 1688, 1688 of the Church Bible. Page 1688, John 21, beginning at verse 15. And we come to the last recorded incident of Peter and Jesus meeting together in the Gospels. The Apostle John writes it this way. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. I suspect for most of us today, we will enter into the festivities of Easter Sunday. We may go out for lunch, or we may have family and friends over to our home, and if you are having them over for a meal, I suspect that you have been planning and preparing that for a long time, and you have set the table right, and you are eager to have your family and friends visit you, and you want it to be a memorable occasion. Because Easter Sunday is that kind of Sunday. We want it to live on in our minds. And when John is writing his gospel, John is writing of a memorable occasion. In fact, so memorable... And please forgive this preacher's imagination that I am fairly convinced the biblical evidence is this, that John adds chapter 21 simply to tell us of the incident we've just read. And hopefully we'll look at that in a moment or two and you'll understand the point I'm seeking to make. John, of course, spent three years with Christ Christ. And he remembers miracle after miracle after miracle. He remembers his own growing realization of who Christ truly is. He remembers the teaching and the impact it had in so many. He remembers transformed lives. He was there at the transfiguration. But more than that, he was there. On Monday, Thursday, as they gathered round the table, and John records more of what took place in the upper room than any other biblical writer. He remembers later that night of Gethsemane and the arrest and trial and subsequent execution of Christ. And he remembers Easter Sunday morning. And when John writes of Easter Sunday morning, John doesn't write in terms of abstract truth laid out in bullet point fashion. John doesn't talk of metaphor and simile and spiritual truth. John talks of a physical resurrection, of Christ being recognized after he'd risen from the dead. He talks of the impact of the resurrection on real people and how real lives were transformed. And in fact, John summarizes it this way, so please bear with me for a second. If you have your Bible open at John 21, flick back to the end of chapter 20. and the closing verses of the previous chapter, please notice what John writes. And when he finishes the explanation of doubting Thomas, you remember the story when Thomas said, unless I see the holes in his hands, I can put my hand into the wound in his side, I will not believe. And John is just finished recording that incident. And then in verse 30 he writes this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. In those verses, John uses words and concepts that he has used throughout his gospel. And I am reasonably convinced that was John's initial conclusion. Jesus did many other miraculous signs that are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe. Jesus was the Son of God, and by believing, have life in His name. Amen. Final conclusion. Close the Gospel of John. Now, I don't see too many New Testament scholars agreeing with me, incidentally. But that's okay. So forgive me if I'm using my imagination this morning. For I am convinced from the evidence here that John adds chapter 21 for a singular reason. And I'm convinced he adds it. Excuse me, I dropped my marker. I'm convinced he adds it for this reason. Because something else comes to John's mind and he remembers. Something so unprecedented Something so supernatural that he cannot wait. Excuse me, let me rephrase that. He cannot complete his gospel without adding chapter 21. And in adding chapter 21, the first half of the chapter, the passage we didn't read, what you discover, of course, is that the disciples are now back in Galilee. They're beside the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, the Lake of Gennesaret. Tiberias is 76 miles by road today from Jerusalem as you drive north. It's a considerable way. The lake itself is 7.6 miles, uh, excuse me, it's 13 miles long. It's 7.6 miles wide. It is mainly unchanged as it was back then. The hills are still there. The topography hasn't changed. And if you stand at the Sea of Galilee today and look around, you have exactly the same view as Christ and the disciples. They knew the Sea of Galilee. Peter, Andrew, James, John, fishermen. They knew the lake inside out, back to front. And in this post-resurrection narrative, the disciples are now back in Galilee in the north. Peter says, let's go out fishing. And they do. And all night they catch nothing. And early in the morning, just as the sun was coming up, Jesus calls from the shore and says, have you any fish? And I think with some frustration and exasperation, they shout back, no, because they've been out fishing all night, caught nothing. The professional fishermen couldn't catch the fish. And Jesus says, throw your net over the right-hand side of the boat and you will catch some. And they do, and they catch, in fact, the passage tells us, 153 large fish. That works out. Large fish is probably about three pounds or more. And if that's 153, that's a quarter of a ton of fish. That's a lot of fish. And when they realize what has taken place, John says to Peter, that's the Lord. Because he understands what has just taken place. A miracle has taken place and only Christ could pull that off. And he says, that is the Lord. And what does Peter do? He dives into the water and swims to the shore. Why? Why? We see the old Peter once again. Rash, impulsive, cannot wait to be where Christ is because in his mind he is saying, if Jesus is there, I want to be there as well. I want to be right there. Why did Peter respond in such a manner? Was it simply that he was delighted to see Christ? I wonder... Peter, the others, had gone back to fishing. Think of that. They had gone back to what they knew well. They were fishing again. And I wonder if just for a fraction of a second, in Peter's mind, when he heard John say, that is Jesus, Peter remembered not just the miraculous, not just the teaching, not just the impact of the gospel on so many lives, but for Peter, I wonder if he was overwhelmed with the sense that it was Sunday morning once again. Was he remembering what happened when he ran to the tomb with John and John being younger got there in front of him? And Peter arrives, and here is John looking in the tomb, and he peers inside into the darkness, and it's empty. And he believes. And he gets it. And he understands. And he wanted that experience all over again. And so he gets up, he dives into the water, he swims to the shore. He wanted Sunday all over again. He wanted to relive it. He wanted his heart and mind and soul to soar heavenward, to remember he is risen. I wonder. Some years ago, a very fine African-American preacher gave an outstanding and memorable sermon called, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And I borrowed that title this morning and changed it a little for our study. And our study this morning is called It's Monday, but Sunday's Coming. Because for Peter and John and the others, I wonder if it did feel like Monday for them. They'd gone back to what they knew best. They'd gone back to the comfortable. They had gone to their default position of returning to the fish and I wonder if in their minds when they started fishing again they they thought to themselves is this what it has come to all of the mountaintop experiences of watching the lame walk of watching the dead come back to life of being there when five thousand were fed with four loaves and two fish is this what it has come to back to the mundane and the daily and the routine and the everyday, back to being Monday, no longer Sunday. And then Jesus calls from the shore, and it all changes in a heartbeat. And when they come on shore, you know the passage tells us that after they had eaten Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than what? More than the fish that the scraps and remains were on the fire? Do you love me more than all of this? The lake he grew up on? The lake he knew so well. The mountains that were all oh so familiar. Was he asking him, Peter, do you love me than the profession you once had? And how does Peter respond? He says, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And then he asks him a second time. Do you truly love me more than these? And please notice this. He never addresses him as Peter. Do you see that? Three times. Simon, son of John, never addresses him as Peter. In John chapter 1, Right at the end of chapter 1, Jesus calls Andrew, Peter's brother, and then Peter. And he looks at Peter and he says those memorable words You are Simon, but you will be Peter. Jesus forgotten that encounter? Had he forgotten that Peter was changed at that moment? When Jesus, with all his creative, transforming, sustaining power in his own declaration, you are Simon, but by my grace you will be Peter. And Peter, you cannot imagine what I have in store for you. You have no way of telling what the future holds. But understand this. You may be Simon now, but there will come a day when you will be Peter the Rock. I wonder this morning, if you had arrived 15 or 20 minutes early before the service this morning, and there were folks getting organized at the front and their musicians were doing last-minute preparations and choir members coming and going and pastors making sure everything was set up and our greeters were organizing the worship folders as you come in. During those 15 minutes or so, you sat there in your pew, quietly closed your eyes, bowed your head, began to pray for family and loved ones, looking forward to all of the celebrations of today. And then after a moment or two, suddenly, you had that sense that someone else was sitting beside you. And you turned around. And what would you say or do if Christ himself was there? And looks at you and penetrates your heart and mind and very soul and he says to you in a single question do you love me more than these what would you say how would you respond would you say Lord I've I've been to church all my life I was brought up to go as a child in fact I'm in a Sunday school few years ago, I was a deacon. I used to sing in the choir. I'm in a Sunday school class. Is that how you would respond? And what if he asked you a second time, do you truly love me more than these, more than comfortable surroundings, more than well-loved hymns? more than all of the celebrations of Easter, do you truly love me more than these? What would you say? It may be that over the last few weeks, you have gone through some tough days, days that have been dark and difficult, frustrating, hurtful. Perhaps you've lost a family member Marriage is on the rocks. Close friendship that you loved and cherished has become sour and ruptured. And it seems it never rains, but it pours over these last few weeks. And for you, it may feel as if you have been living through a whole series of Mondays, drab and difficult and everyday and mundane and routine. But please hear this. Sunday has come. Sunday has come. And when Peter realized that Christ was present, he dived into the water to get to him. And now Jesus was probing, going deeper, taking to him a place, taking him to a place he would not want to go and asks him a third time, do you love me? And everyone there knew what Jesus was asking. All of his peers understood that it wasn't that long ago that three times Peter had denied him. Peter, rash and impulsive, who promised in the upper room, everyone else will leave you, but I will be there for you. And they realized that a threefold denial needed a threefold confession. And no wonder Peter was hurt the third time. Do you love me? And in not calling him Peter, he was reminding him of the man he once was. Reminding him of what his life was like before he came into his life. Reminding him of all that he used to be. And also reminding him of this, that he's no longer the man he used to be. But he's now Peter the Rock. And right there, around that campfire, Peter was reinstated. Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And I wonder if this morning, on this Easter Sunday morning, it is time for you and I to recognize the call of God In the scriptures to recognize that we have a living relationship with him to rededicate and recommit ourselves to all that he has called us to to put to one side all that we've been through the experiences that remind us of monday morning and remind ourselves that today is resurrection sunday and he has risen he has risen indeed Do you love him? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And so as we leave this morning, we're reminded of the final call of God to Peter. And what was it? What was the last words? Two words. Follow me. Follow me. And so as we begin a new week, the first Sunday of a new month, we say with each other that, Father, we fully recognize and understand this, that there are times in our lives when we sin and we sin against you. And on this Easter Sunday morning, we ask you to forgive us to cleanse us, to renew us, to refresh us, to allow us to live for you again. Father, help us please, as Christ broke free from death, help us this morning to break away from the corrosive, the debilitating power of sin in our lives and to live for you, no longer under the power of sin, but to live a transformed life. And as we leave this morning, my prayer for every one of us is this. We will leave here with those words of creative, sustaining power in our minds. You are, but by my grace you will be. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this spectacular passage of Scripture. Thank you that we know that when we go through dark and difficult days, when sadness and pain is there, when our own poor choices have taken us down the road of sin, and rebellion that you are there for us refusing to give up on us refusing to abandon us and enable us please this easter sunday morning to rejoice with you and begin again with you because you love us with an everlasting love father help us please to know the reality of your promise You are, but by my grace you shall be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.